Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm super excited about today's topic, as always. But this one is especially unique. It's especially awesome because it addresses something that I think a lot of parents and a lot of teachers and even a lot of students overlook, and that is the fact that different people learn differently. And this is something that's become abundantly more clear to me over the years as I've been tutoring more, as I've even been teaching a fourth grade math class, as I've been interacting with a wider age range of students, people learn differently. And the problem is that we usually arbitrarily bifurcate individuals based on, or bifurcate groups of people in the following way. You're either capable or math-minded or whatever the subject may be. You're the good, smart, whatever term you want to put on it, or you're not. And it's such a dismissive mindset because it overlooks just so many different nuances and pieces that pieces of the puzzle really that define or, or sort of characterize a person and and really allow somebody to figure out what they're good at. When you it's it's stifling when you put these labels on people and say, well, they're in a particular class and they're not doing well, therefore they can't understand this. Well, no, it may be that a particular teacher or private tutor style is a bit single-sided. It's not multidimensional. And and as a result, unfortunately, it doesn't mesh with that particular student's learning style. And it just doesn't work. And it doesn't mean anything about that student or even about that teacher necessarily. It just means that there is not a good fit. Case in point, I have certain students that come to life in different sections of math. I have some students that really thrive when we're talking about symmetry, we're talking about tessellations, we're talking about being able to reproduce tessellations. Tessellations are just patterns of shapes that repeat on and on and on and sort of interlock and fit together. If you Google it, you'll see some really cool images of tessellations. And I've noticed that some kids that have really acute spatial reasoning abilities have a breeze with the symmetry sections in fourth grade. They can they understand rotational symmetry very well. They can reproduce these tessellations beautifully with little to no trouble. And then other kids that do amazingly well with functions and graphing have trouble in these areas. And you see what's going on. You see that, hey, this is all math. It doesn't mean that everybody across the board is going to have an equal time. And why is that? It is because there are multiple classified learning styles to be aware of. And what this show today is going to be all about is going to be for parents who you might think your kid's not good at math, your child maybe just not really be into it or they may not have an affinity for it. And I want you to listen up because I want you to go th- go through each of the learning types that I identify and that I talk about and see maybe 
your child fits into one of those categories and you didn't realize it. Maybe they fit into the category of an auditory learner and you've been trying to use manipulatives or visual aids the entire time to teach, whereas another method might be more effective, much more effective. So that's the idea. I can't from here necessarily tell you what type of learner your child is, but you hopefully will have a good idea after you hear all this stuff. And then I'm going to give you some ideas as to based on these learning styles, based on how you categorize your child, how you can augment his ability to learn math efficiently and effectively. So this is going to be a really good one. And I've done my homework. So it's going to be really good information that hopefully you can use right away. Okay, here we go. And and I've written an article on this. It's on my blog. It's called Tailoring Math Education to Different Learning Styles. So it's going to be a combination. I'm going to be reading through the article as well as sharing my thoughts. That will be open monologue that will be interspersed throughout. There we go. Math can be a puzzling and often frustrating subject for students. Some pupils seem to effortlessly pluck A pluses from the heavens while others grind away to earn average grades at best. Why the discrepancy? Are some brains simply predisposed to math success while others are hopelessly misaligned? Of course not. If I believed that, I wouldn't be teaching math. So what's the deal? Why the blaring gap in math performance? One key factor is learning styles. Despite what your folks might say, people learn in different ways. Some students naturally thrive in standard Prussian-style classroom settings. Others, however, only truly soar in different environments that are better tailored to their particular strengths. If a student is struggling in math at school, it could be because the standard curriculum is not in sync with his or her learning style. This article will run through the seven learning styles, explain how to identify where students fit on the learning style spectrum, and advise how to optimize math education accordingly. Here we go. The first category is social slash interpersonal. So this is for social slash interpersonal learners. So what does that mean? A social learner is a learner who prefers to learn in groups surrounded by other people. They are often charged up by the presence of their classmates and usually derive energy from social interactions. They are the prototypical extroverts. I am an extrovert. I have learned this based on several personality tests like the Myers-Briggs test. Also, it's just abundantly clear because I love to socialize, always have, and I come to life when I'm around my friends, when I'm around positive energy from people I care about. When I go into the classroom and there's a bunch of my awesome students, I get really amped up. So I am a prototypical extrovert. And by the way, some of your kids might fit into several of these categories. It's not one category and that's it. So these are these are just different. They, they might they might thrive in multiple environments, or maybe you might realize that there's just one in particular that really brings them to life. So there's a not only a spectrum, but you can have overlaps. So telltale signs of a social learner. They are known for possessing a wide network of friends and associates. Pretty obvious. They feel excitement and energy when around other people. And again, that is the definition of an extrovert. People often think that an extrovert is a person who is super social. That's not actually necessarily true. Sometimes people socialize for a host of reasons. It could be out of, they feel it's it's necessary for them to socialize or they feel like they don't want to miss something with their friends, the fear of missing out, right? FOMO. 
And it may not necessarily be that they derive energy from socializing. That is the key that is the key element that distinguishes between an extrovert and an introvert. An extrovert gets energy from social interaction while an introvert loses energy. They, they get energy from being alone, recharging their batteries more or less in isolation or in solitude. All right. Number three, they are particularly adept at negotiating and resolving conflicts. So these are just some, some things that you can look at, maybe think about, hey, is my child one of these interpersonal learners, social learners? Now, here are the suggestions that go along with this learning style for math education. While learning math in a group setting can be difficult for many folks, for for many, folks who thrive in social environments are best served when surrounded by their peers. Working in teams to complete homework assignments and prep for exams can often charge the energy levels of a social learner. Moreover, creating a supportive network of caring classmates can help nurture an interpersonal child struggling to improve his or her grades. You can already see what would potentially be a problematic environment for an interpersonal learner, and that would be isolation. For example, many jobs, you sit in your office and you're very cut off, you're very isolated, right? Like the legal world and even software development. It's it's a pretty isolating role. So these are types of environments that would be very difficult to really thrive in if you are a social interpersonal learner. And you can tell, right, for the kids who who love to socialize, this could be tough. So try and make learning some more, somewhat more of a group activity, team projects, things like that. If you are, in fact, homeschooling your child, that could be a real recipe for disaster because they're always going to be alone. And I've homeschooled kids before. And I, it, can be a, it can be a potentially dangerous thing because that child is now being, while it may be great in certain respects, you're going to deprive that child of very, very important socializing. And not only the socializing, it can help you maybe if you're a social learner, feel good, get energized, etc. But just this is just sort of a, a bit of a tangent. But if you are homeschooling, and the child is just completely only with adults and teachers, it can rob that child of developing these very important, very necessary social skills that once they reach adulthood, if they don't have them, man, it can be a huge gap in development and learning. Much more, which we could be much more critical, a much more critical loss than simply losing potential facts and information, knowledge that you gain from standard education. All right, next category solitary slash intrapersonal. Solitary learners thrive in isolation. So, very different from me. They often do their best when working alone and using self study. Reading books can be an especially effective learning vehicle for these individuals, right? So, it's pretty likely that if your child loves to read, loves to be in their room just reading a book, and I have many students like this, and I think it's it's an amazing thing. If your child is like that, at least they have an element to them that fits into this category. They may not necessarily be solitary individuals, but they have that element. They fit into this category to a certain extent. Telltale signs of a solitary learner. They prefer solitary activities, so again, reading, maybe even writing in their room, things like that. They spend a great deal of time reflecting introspectively, maybe lost in thought, being quiet on drives or at the dinner table. They recharge their energy levels while alone, i.e. they are introverted. So again, now we have the distinction between extroverts and introverts. This is somebody who will need that time, especially after school, 
to be by themselves so that they can recharge their energy levels. Otherwise, they can just feel very anxious and very exhausted. Suggestions for math education. Solitary learners are usually folks that thrive in our modern education system. Their characteristics set them up nicely to achieve high marks in standard academia. But, however, to help an intrapersonal learner, intra versus inter, intrapersonal learners soar even higher, it is important to recognize that these students are designed to work alone and in isolation. So, finding a spot free of disturbances is often the first step to maximizing their abilities. In addition, it is useful to simply recognize that the majority of information they learn will usually be absorbed at home while studying, as opposed to while in class, in a social environment, around other students, it can be very, very distracting. You probably have friends like this who don't absorb that much from school and from lectures. I, I'm the opposite, of course. They don't absorb that much, but the real learning happens at home. When they go home and then they dive into the material distraction-free, either in their room, or another quiet place, and then they're able to really soar and thrive. So it's very important if your child is a solitary or intrapersonal learner, you really want to make sure to cultivate a nice, quiet, distraction-free environment for studying. Next category, category number three, verbal or linguistic learner. Verbal learners, as the name suggests, prefer learning with words in both speech and writing. These types of minds soak up knowledge through various mediums centered around language. Words naturally resonate with these folks. Telltale signs of a verbal learner. They have a natural affinity for words when reading, writing, listening, and speaking. So these will be kids. I can think of several kids that I know in fifth grade right now who are definitely verbal or linguistic learners. They love words. They have amazing vocabularies. And they get excited when they have the opportunity to learn new words. I had a student... A few weeks ago, I was telling her about the vocabulary course that I designed that's on Udemy called the Voca uh, Power 100 Vocabulary Builder. And I was telling her about it, and she got so excited because she wanted to see the words, and she wanted to try and create her own sentences to use them and images that go along with them to help her remember them. And that was really cool. So they have a natural affinity for words. They also have an uncanny ability to recall definitions and the spellings of words. And they enjoy creative writing, such as poetry, st writing stories, etc. So here are suggestions for math education. For these students, I recommend sitting down with a teacher or tutor after class to hear in-depth explanations. While the material may not sink in during chalkboard lectures or sample problems, verbal learners will be more likely to pick up math lessons that, they, that are conveyed in plain English. Words after all are their bread and butter when learning. They should steer clear of relying too heavily on symbols and drawings. Instead, they should seek word-based explanations, either written or oral, from a teacher. And I think I should also emphasize that a lot of times, for, for kids like this, what I would recommend is an emphasis on, of course, for any student, you want them to really understand what's going on versus memorizing a formula, but that is even more so important with the verbal learner to give a nice explanation. So an example of that, and I think I mentioned this on one of the other one of the other episodes. An example of that is explaining how to calculate the distance to between two points on a coordinate graph versus just simply giving the formula. So if you if you simply give the formula, which is a relatively complex formula, 
it might not sit in their memory very well, and they may not be able to use it or recall it very effectively. Instead, if you explain the distance formula between two points in terms of Pythagorean's theorem, how do you find the distance, how you basically calculate the length of a hypotenuse, if you know the two side lengths, leg lengths of a right triangle, if you explain it that way, where they can understand the derivation of the equation, that will have a much higher likelihood of sitting in the brain and actually being absorbed, memorized, and understood. Category number four, logical slash mathematical. Logical learners do their best when employing logic and reasoning, as the name, of course, implies. They are effective problem solvers and typically succeed with task-based learning. These minds often do well with standard math education. So telltale signs of a logical learner. They enjoy asking questions and finding solutions. They are often preoccupied with puzzles and other logic-based games. They have a knack for mathematics and other variable-based subjects. And I, of course, fall into this category as well. I think I love puzzle games. I'm, that's the only stuff that I play really nowadays. I love chess. I even love word search, not word search puzzles, but games like Scrabble, stuff like that. Suggestions for math education. Since logical-minded people often enjoy games and puzzles, it makes sense to frame math problems in the same mantle. Now, I have always felt that math assignments are inherently similar to logic games or puzzles and are naturally fun for folks who like these types of challenges. But for the logical brains out there that still find it hard to enjoy their math homework, I recommend searching out math-based games. One decent website for such games is coolmath-games.com. In addition, I suggest employing rules during study time to make practice problems feel more like a game. For example, adding time constraints can make the practice problems feel more like a game. Additionally, keeping track of percentages and trying to beat out old scores is another way to make the process more fun. Again, you don't have, I'm not saying that you need to put false time constraints on your math homework, but if it's enjoyable to you, if it's fun for you, go for it. I remember when I was prepping for the ACT and the SAT in college, that is how I got into it. That's how I began to enjoy it was because I would see every time, and I wouldn't always see forward progress. Sometimes I'd slip back. Sometimes I'd move up. But that process of seeing my scores and trying to get to the next level, learning, improving, watching that improvement, it was so much fun for me that I essentially took what was it, I think like 15 or 16 practice tests over the course of a month or two, something like that, without any push. It just happened effortlessly and naturally because it was fun. It's kind of like the way that I run my business now, the things that I do, it requires no push because it's all fun for me. It's exciting to record this podcast, make a new video, make a new course. It's exciting to see that. So we want to put, for for these types of, of logical slash mathematical learners, we want to frame, we want to, somehow be able to fit math education into this type of a make it seem like a game so that it can be really really fun and then you don't need any pushes you're just gonna motivate based on that all right the next next category is visual and spatial learners okay visual learners are specially built to use pictures and spatial tools They learn well when lesson plans incorporate photos, videos, visual maps, and other pictorial-based instructions. So telltale signs of a visual learner. They visualize problems clearly in their minds. 
They tend to learn better from pictures and movies than word-based mediums. They're naturally drawn to activities. Oops, sorry, excuse me. They're naturally drawn to activities that involve visual design. So here are my suggestions for math education. For the mind that learns with pictures and images, I suggest infusing math education with loads of drawings related to each concept. Students should be encouraged to draw out diagrams and use visual cues to ease memorization of various operations and theorems. In addition, they should color code their notes and study materials. This will help their visual brains organize and assimilate various pieces of information and data. The other cool thing for visual learners is, of course, since you're going to learn visually, you, I recommend watching videos as opposed to just reading a textbook and trying to understand the steps and processes. And the beautiful thing is we have things like Khan Academy. We have things like my math programs on Udemy. We have so many video courses and free material, by the way, in addition to paid material. There's so much good content out there that you can find and watch and learn from. And there's the cool thing about the variety is that you can choose. There's another amazing website called called what is it i think it's called math nerd or no virtual nerd virtual nerd oh so good and you may watch it and think you may not like the girl i love her i think she's so good and she's she's really she's just really she's really cool to watch so check that out you may like that you may not like that find what works for you find what's helpful and tune into that and let that guide your got you know really take control and guide the way that you learn okay Next category is oral slash musical. Oral learners are the better auditory learners, we could say, are the are best equipped to understand and store information absorbed via sound and music. Their ears are particularly adept at deconstructing and parsing heavy mixes of tones. They will often do better with books on tape versus printed versions. So this is pretty interesting because math is something that's hard to really teach via it's it's tough to teach with a book on tape because you need to see what's going on but again this is another instance where somebody hopefully would thrive more so in lecture because you're hearing versus reading and again the same recommendation applies that you should try learning from videos as opposed to reading from a textbook all right telltale signs of an oral learner auditory learner they deeply enjoy listening to and making music they have a natural understanding of music and its various elements. They tend to connect emotional experiences with various sounds and songs. Actually, and again, for me, I fall into this category as well. I love music. I love sounds. The theme song to this podcast is something that I created, and it's just, I hope you like it. I don't know if you do or not, but the idea is I, I, I fall in, again, you can fall into multiple categories. This is another category that I fall into. Suggestions for math education. Many auditory learners enjoy listening to music, so I suggest that they play pleasant music in the background while learning mathematics. This will evoke positive emotions and stir up a bit of energy while working. Just make sure that the music is not overly distracting or played too loud. In addition, musical-minded people should try to organize formulas and operations into musical patterns or rhymes. For example, coming up with a rhyme or melody to remember the quadratic equation will be more effective than simply attempting to remember the visual image of the formula. Finally, reviewing notes and examples from the textbook, when reviewing notes and examples from the textbook, they should read aloud so as to stimulate their auditory memory. 
Now, reading aloud is something that I recommend for proofreading as well. I know that most kids don't take me up on that offer to actually read aloud because it takes time. It's It can be boring. You don't want to do it. You don't want to put in the effort. But just give it a chance. Just try. Trust me. And if you're writing a paper and you're proofreading it, definitely try it out. It will change. It will seriously change your writing so drastically. Okay. Last but not least, physical slash kinesthetic learners. Physical learners learn best by touch and movement. A lot of superb athletes tend to fall into this category as physical processes and activities seem to sync well with their learning and memorizing capabilities. Telltale signs of a physical learner. They enjoy physical activities such as dance or athletics. They spend a great deal of time being active and physically engaged. And number three, they like to express themselves using a wide range of physical gestures. Suggestions for math education. For physical learners, devising a specially tailored strategy to approach math is a little trickier but still doable. Since these types tend to be to learn best when active, it is important for them to stay in motion while studying. This can involve squeezing a stress ball while working or simply taking a break every 20 or 30 minutes to walk around the room. Hands-on models are terrific as well when applicable. If there's a tangible learning device that the student can actually touch and interact with, all the better. I can already think of my students that are kinesthetic learners and they're they're the they're basically like the super athletes, the guys that are incredible basketball players, soccer players, what have you. So again, for these types of kids, think about and and it's not that often, right? In the classroom or certain classrooms that we try to learn mathematics using things that we can touch or try to allow for some movement or some activity. We just think, oh, well, if you have to move around, you're just not getting it. Or you, we may have some silly belief like that. So think about this. If your child or your student falls into this category, try and incorporate some of this stuff to see if it makes a difference. And, and I bet you it will. So that's it. Those are the seven types, uh, seven learning styles. And hopefully you can listen into this and you can assess some of your students and think maybe, hey, I want to, or maybe do some more research and try and really figure out where they fall in that spectrum and adjust the curriculum accordingly for them. So I hope this was helpful for you guys. It was super fun for me to go over this again. And it's helpful for me just to remind myself as well when I'm working with different kids. This stuff is great. So again, if you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, go to www.scalarlearning.com. We have all the show notes up on the website. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. I would love to hear from you. Comments, feedback, questions, whatever you got, send it my way. Again, new episodes dropping every day this summer. So summer of 2016. So check them out as they come down. And see you guys next time. Take it easy. Learning. Give me that skill and learning. Give me that skill and learning.